We're trying to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 291-6901. That's right, and right now is the perfect time to call because we are here and live this morning. That's absolutely right. And should you happen not to think of something while we're on the air or maybe even at 11.02 when we're off the air or (laughs) even next week at midnight, you can always go to our website and get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that is take the acronyms Altazan's Garage Company. Get you to our site. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form with your vehicle information and question, and send it on in. Yeah, if you get a question to me, I always get an answer back to you within 24 hours. Even when I'm on vacation, I usually travel with my laptop and never longer than 24 hours. But right. Sometimes a lot faster. Sometimes if I happen to be working at the computer when a question comes in, I got a little chime that goes off when I receive an email and mm-hmm. I'll just send it right back to them. So can't promise that every second time. <laughs> but that is not only the best, but the only way to get information as far as chit-chatting and just general information on your car. Any information right. that you need to know about, say, Agco, our company, the ladies who answer the phone can handle that for you. Sure. They can make appointments, answer your questions, like you said, about when we're open, why we work on appointments, things like that. Yeah, any question that you have, a lot of times people call and they want a price on something, and they can explain to you why we don't quote prices on the phone. Correct. Because there is no way to quote a price on the phone. Neither party knows what's wrong with the car. I know you think you know what's wrong. Exactly. And a lot of times we'll get folks who will say, well, I've already had another shop and he's already told me what's wrong. Well, okay, but we don't know that's wrong. Right. We just know what he says. If you don't <laughs> trust him enough to let him do the work, I wouldn't be trusting his diagnosis. Exactly. Because I couldn't tell you how many times people will bring a car in, they know exactly what's wrong, and it's not anything even remotely close to that. We it's see that all the time. Totally, totally different. And that's one reason why there are so, so many problems, almost universally, in the automotive repair trade. Because people call around and get prices on stuff, then they go in, that's not what's wrong. And sometimes they even fix what they ask for the price, and now they still have the same exact problem. Sure. But those kinds of things, that procedure, is what causes so many problems. So we have just decided that that just is not the way it needs to be done. Right, it doesn't work. It does not work. It gives bad results. You can ask just about anybody who's ever had a car fixed. and they'll <laughs> they all, Everybody's got at least two or three stories. Well, it's always at the top of just about every list of complaints in any society. I mean, I think home repair and car repair are usually right. number one and number two, and they alternate back and forth. And it's not that there aren't good repair shops out there, because there are. And there are excellent, excellent repair shops car repair out there. Peep, but the way folks go about getting the cars fixed is what is driving it, and the shops that cater to that type of trade are the ones who are causing all the problems. Sure. Sometimes well, they don't even realize they're doing anything wrong. That's it. Once that's they, just the way they've always done it. Once they get it in the door, then it's fair game. Yeah, and like I said, so many of them, they don't even know they're doing anything wrong. They just That's how it's always been done. Guy calls how much to tune up. And they give him a price. He comes in. They do a tune-up. Well, the guy still got the same exact problem because he didn't need a tune-up in the first place. Mm-hmm. Never needed that at all. What he had was a car that was hard to start. Right. And had absolutely nothing to do with a tune-up. What he's got is a fuel pressure regulator leaking, and so the fuel pressure's dropping. But, again, he started out, he inadvertently misdiagnosed the problem himself. Sure. Called in for service. They quote him a price. They give he him the service. In. It just starts a whole little chain of events. The tech gets a ticket. It says tune up the car. Okay, great. He does exactly what he's supposed to do. Does an mm-hmm. excellent job. But you still got the same problem because no right. one ever diagnosed the problem. I know at Agco, we do things a lot different than most mm-hmm. shops do. 
And when I get a car in, the first thing I do is go drive it. Mm-hmm. I want to duplicate that complaint. That's right. And if you don't know what the complaint is, and there's, if someone has just told you to do something. Sure. You I want to know why. Yeah, i got to know why because you may or may not be fixing your problem. Most time not because cars have changed so, so much. Oh, they've gotten a lot more complicated. Well, the computer system is inherently designed to shield the driver, the driver from any type of symptoms. Sure. You know, it's designed to keep you from feeling symptoms. So when, let's say, the spark plugs wear out, it's not like the old days where you're going to start to run idle rough or your fuel mileage is going to fall off. That's not ever going to happen. No. It's going to run just as good as it did the day those new plugs were put in. Until they just can't fire anymore. Right. Because what's happening is that the computer is increasing the duty cycle on the call, so it's giving more and more power to ionize that plug gap. Sure. And it starts to overheat the calls, so you end up burning up the ignition calls, and they could be anywhere from four to eight, depending on how many cylinders. Maybe at ten of it's ten cylinders. Hundred, hundred and ten dollars a piece. Oh, some of them as much as two hundred dollars. There you go. That's so, something you don't want to burn up. A lot of those calls should last the life of the vehicle. Yeah, mostly the life. Some hold. cars have more problems. Other Fords tend to have trouble they with do. their call design. But they do. A lot of them will last the life of the vehicle as long as the spark plugs are changed at the right time. Correct. But if you're waiting for a symptom, you're not you're not going to see it. It's not going to happen. And the ironic thing is, when you do feel what you think is a symptom, it's not that. Yeah. Whereas when you get the car, it's hard to start. It's not going to be that tune-up. Right. That's not going to ever make the car hard to start like it used to. I know it used to do that, but not anymore. Well, you're not talking about two different systems. You got a, you had a carburetor system on the old cars, right. which relied on vacuum and a certain amount of fuel coming through a venturi into the carburetor right. being pulled in and burned. Fuel in. Right. Now you've got fuel injection. So you've got fuel pressure. You've got mm-hmm. a fuel pump that's in the gas tank. Right. It supplies fuel pressure to a regulator. Mm-hmm. The regulator regulates how much fuel goes to the injectors. The computer pulses the injectors and sprays a certain amount of fuel into the cylinder right. at a certain time. I mean, it's so much more complicated than a carburetor ever thought about being. That's right. And so the car could be totally out of tune, but it's still going to start just fine. Sure. Because the computer's handling all that. Right. However, when you do get a hard start, a tune-up's not going to help that. So it's just one of those things. Another classic, classic thing that we see all the time, and that is my transmission is shifting funny. It's uh-huh. doing this, it's doing that. And basically the only thing a transmission does anymore, the gearbox itself, is pretty much make the gears. In other words, it physically puts it into one gear or another. But almost all of the shift points, the shift style, how hard it shifts, all that is done on the outside. Sure. A result of sensors who give inputs to the transmission computer, which grounds a solenoid, which allows fluid to make the shift. So very, 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 very often, you have the most heinous-type transmission problems. It has absolutely nothing to do with transmission. Sure. Guy was in not long ago and had all kinds of transmission problems, and he was asking how much transmission, how much transmission. It wasn't that at all. He had actually put a fresh air intake system on it, which was driving the airflow meter crazy, uh-huh. which was causing all these shifting concerns. So Correct. we ended up having to put the original intake system back on it, straighten, straighten everything, everything out, out. Now it shifts just fine. So it's just the way you got to go about getting it done now is totally different than the way you did just a few years ago. Sure. We're going to our phone lines with Joe. Good morning, Joe. How good morning. Doing? Great, man. Look, I got a 2,300 CRV. Uh-huh. About a year and a half ago, I had a guy over in Addis Chain, something from it. was the intake manifold with runner control. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. You familiar with that? Yes, sir. Well, ever since he put that thing in there, that car ain't never shipped right. I brought it back to him. He did a few adjustments. It did all right for a little while. Then it started like it would downshift at about 20. Okay. Now when you're driving, sometimes when you it's going to shift, it feels like a flutter or something, you know. With the, yeah, yeah, like a shutter. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. 
It doesn't do it all the time, but it does it sometimes. Yeah, and Joe, that may very well be related to that work that he did because that is one of the inputs to the transmission. Now, one other thing, just in all fairness, I do have to say, and that is whatever happens to your car will be after that. In other words, if I wash my car today and tomorrow it breaks down, well, it broke down after I washed it. Right. That's just the nature of time. So right. it is possible that it's not related because Honda has had a great deal of trouble with their transmissions. I know. And it could be something totally separate. However, it could also be related to that because the intake vacuum and all that runs what they call the MAP sensor, which is one of the inputs to the transmission. It has to see that because that's how it knows how much throttle you're giving it. So, yeah, it could definitely be related. It may be something didn't get adjusted right. It could be who knows what. Mm-hmm. We just have to get it in and drive it. So long as we can duplicate it, we can find it. Okay. Uh, the way you need to go about that is you put a pressure gauge on the transmission. It's got little ports in the side of the transmission case. You take the little plug out. You screw a pr- couple pressure gauges in. That shows you what the line pressure inside the transmission is. second thing you do is put a scan tool on it. Now, with the scan tool, you can see what's being commanded. You can see the pressure, see if they're rising at the right rate at the right time and all that. You can also watch the inputs. And if we've got an input but we got no output, well, our pressure's not rising. Now we know we're something inside our transmission. If we're not getting the input, then we know we're outside transmission. So it just takes some detective work. might take a little while to find it, particularly if it's intermittent. But, yeah, it's not anything that can't be found. I wouldn't let it just go, Joe, because... Almost anything like that is going to cause other issues. It may cause a transmission problem. If it's not getting the right input so it doesn't know how much pressure to put on the clutches and it's allowing the clutches to slip, then that's going to burn transmission up. So it's one of those things you're going to need to get looked into. And, again, I wouldn't necessarily jump to the conclusion that he caused it because he may have, but he may not have. It may just be that it just happened to occur after he did the work. Right. Because everything that happens to the car will be after he did the work. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. I got one. I'm going to probably get in there, but I still got one more question. You bet. Go ahead. I got a 2005 Envoy. Uh-huh. Ever since they run that Exxon gas through my car, the car ain't never ran right. I mean, it, it has 100,000 miles, and yes. I ain't never changed the plugs or anything. Okay. Well, it's probably time so, for that. In the morning, it runs a little rough, but it, you know, later on, it'll run great. Yeah, most of the time, Joe, when it's running rough in the morning, first thing, and smooths out later on, you've got an intake manifold gasket leak. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what happens, you see, is that when the engine is cold, it's running on default readings because the oxygen sensors hadn't come online. They hadn't got hot. they got to get to 180 degrees before they start reading. It's running in what they call open loop. Now, in open loop, the computer just looks at what it always did, and it gives it that much fuel because it's not actually metering it like it's supposed to. Now, if it's got a vacuum leak, it's going to show up right there. Now, as soon as it gets to about 180 degrees, the oxygen sensors come online. Now it's got feedback. Now it's just going to add extra fuel and cover the leak up. It can adjust to it. But it's always going to be rough whenever it's cold. So I would suspect first, that's a classic symptom of an intake manifold gasket leak. So I would probably look at that. But, I mean, you can very easily test that. I mean, you can do a compression test on the engine. And that will tell you if you got any kind of internal engine problem. If all your compression is good, you know the engine is all good and sound. But it could be one of the intake gaskets that shrunk up. And, again, I'm not saying that the gas didn't get maybe affect the gasket. That is a possibility. Not very likely. It's just most likely coincidental because I know we change those intake gaskets all the right. time. If it happens to be a vacuum leak on the intake gaskets or anywhere in the intake system, mm-hmm. you can actually put a smoke machine on it. Right. And you can smoke it, which fills the entire assembly up with smoke, and where the smoke comes out is where the vacuum is actually leaking right, in at. you'll be able to see it. Okay. Right. 
All right. All right. Well, I need to get it in there. All right. All right, man. Make an appointment. Okay. Sounds good, Jim. Thank you. Thanks, Carl, man. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take our first quick little break. We'll be right back with more of the Automotive Hour. Travel my way. Take the highway. And that's why you never put a dead or live octopus in the microwave. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my old truck needs some repairs. Or should I buy a new one to save money? Well, let me get out my calculator here. Let's say a new truck costs about $35,000 plus $3,500 or so in taxes, then higher insurance. And you know, in about three years, the value is going to drop to about $15,000. That's $8,000 a year just to drive it. Wow, I've never thought of it like that. I suggest taking it to Agco Automotive for a general inspection to see if your old truck is worth keeping, which I think it is. And if so, keep bringing it to Agco for regular maintenance, and you'll be able to drive it for a whole lot longer. And I can spend money on other things like my beautiful wife. I'm assuming she's right there in the room with you, huh? Alphonse, you do know it all, don't you? Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco. It's the place to go. Welcome back. You just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, two tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 291-6901. That's right, and you put a 225 in front of that, and you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's right. We certainly wish you would. We always love talking to people and kind of finding out what kind of problems you have, what kind of questions you got. Give you some great advice. There you go. Try to help you out as best we can. There you go. <laughs> this week, it seems like we've had just a rash of wheel bearing problems. Right. I've actually changed three or four, maybe five this week. Yeah. Just, just you. Just me. <laughs> and there's four of us working there. That's right. And things tend to be cyclical, but I also notice that certain events tend to bring on certain bring problems. Bring on other problems. Yeah. Right. If you remember back four months ago, five months ago, there was some heavy, heavy rain. Right. Area, a bunch of flooded streets. Locally and flooding, streets flooding and all. Right. And if you ever notice, anytime you have that situation, Probably four or five months later, you can start seeing a rash of wheel bearings. Sure. Because what happens is that folks tend to drive through high water. And when I say high water, not what most people, people think of high water being two and a half feet deep. Well, sure. Anything six to eight inches deep, if it covers more the tire and starts to get up to the hub area of your car, then that water is going to start to get into parts when you drive because uh-huh. those parts are sealed, but they're sealed to keep dust and dirt out. And, and they're, they're also sealed hot. to keep grease in. That's they're right. also hot. Mm-hmm. And when, if you ever notice, when you cool something hot, it actually draws a vacuum inside it, it and it will pull things in that normally don't go in. That's right. It gives it a little bit more of a propensity to get in. So what happens is that a little bit of water, it doesn't take much, just a few drops of water gets into the wheel bearing. Now, it's not going to fail right then. No, because it doesn't destroy the grease immediately. What it does is it starts to emulsify the grease because uh-huh. the grease wasn't designed to have water in it. And as it churns around and little rollers and or balls or whatever roll through it time and time and time again, it starts to break the grease down, which breaks the lubrication down. Sure. Now, again, these little balls and rollers are hard, and they do have some amount of lubrication. They just don't have enough. And so they start to gall up the little races and rollers that they're rolling in, and then next thing you know, down the road, you have a roaring noise when you're driving along. Mm-hmm. may start out very subtle, just a little, barely can hear it, and then it tends to get a little louder, a little louder. Sometimes, if it's a front bearing, you may notice if you cut your wheel sharply one way or the other, it'll get louder or quieter, yeah, quieter right. depending on which direction that you're turning in. And these are the signs of a bad wheel bearing, some of the signs of a bad wheel sure. bearing. 
could also be a vibration. It could be all sorts of things. But once the wheel bearing goes bad, it's a matter of replacement because there's no repair for a wheel bearing. Now, the older cars had bearings you could take apart, and you could take them out, and you could replace little bearings separately. And, and erase it separately, right. It and put it all back together. And as sure as I say there aren't any more of those left, there's probably one or two. I was going to say there's far and few in between. But, yeah, uh, very, very, very seldom do you see those any longer on cars. Way, way, way more prevalent today is what they call a hub bearing assembly. Uh-huh. Now, the advantage of a hub bearing assembly is that it is easier to replace. So, In some applications. Yeah, when they put it together at the factory, it's much easier for them to bolt a hub bearing assembly on than it is to have to adjust and pack and put bearings Correct. together. Correct. So that's one reason that they go to that. Now, well, and not only that, the front-wheel drive cars, they're actually running a drive axle through the bearing right. into the outside hub to drive the wheel. That's right. Well, the way the old bearings were set up, you had a spindle that came out, and the bearing slid over it. Mm-hmm. And then you had an adjustment nut on the outside, and it just rolled on that spindle. Right. Well, now you have to have a different type of bearing to carry the different assembly. Right. And another advantage to the hub bearing assembly is it's maintenance-free. Sure. You, long as you don't get water in it, or you don't run an out-around tire or something that's going to beat it up, you don't hit a curb real hard... That bearing is probably going to last the life of the car and never need to be serviced. Sure. Which is a big advantage. The old cars, you remember, every oh, yeah. 40, 50,000 miles, you had to break them down, change the seals, pack the bearings. Sure. Generally, when you did brake work, you would do that as part of the brake job. Well, you had to do that. It was part of the rotor assembly. That's right. The rotor carried the races that carried the bearings. Mm-hmm. It was all one piece. That's right. So you had, if you were changing rotors or turning rotors back then, mm-hmm. you would take the assembly off, clean all the grease out, turn the rotor, check the bearings. If the bearings need to replace, you'd pull the races out you'd put new races in new bearings new grease new seal put them together adjust them put the cap on and that was part of the like set of brake service that's right and nowadays you don't have any of that now what you have is a hub bearing assembly and the rotor for the most part just slips right over the top and the lug sure. nuts, the lug studs go through the rotor and when you clamp the wheel down that holds it all on some have a little screw that holds it to the hub some right don't. but it's just a much much different type of assembly now the advantages, like I said, are low maintenance. They're built to a very high standard. You don't have to worry about someone adjusting it in the field, maybe adjusting it wrong. Correct. Because the backlash, the preload, and all that is preset from the factory, so it's all right on every bearing that they manufacture. And all these things are great. They even incorporate the ABS sensor into the bearing assembly now. Right. So, the tone ring is actually in it. One more thing you don't really have to worry about adjusting or fiddling with because mm-hmm. it's all in part of that assembly. And, again, it makes the car faster to assemble on the assembly line. Correct. Someone doesn't have to fit a bearing and then fit a ABS sensor and all that sort of thing. Now, the drawback is, even though they are easier to replace because generally the labor is not that high, some of them can be obscenely expensive. Sure. They're very complicated little assemblies, and they can be very, very expensive to replace. I know we had a Toyota Corolla come in for transmission service earlier, in fact, Friday. Right. And I was just talking with a gentleman. When Josh went to test drive the car, he noticed it had a roaring noise when driving. So he came out and said, have you been hearing like a Yeah, yeah, I have. I was wondering what that was. Well, it was a rear wheel bearing had gone bad. Okay. Well, the part was over $500. Right. And that is what they consider a bolt-on 
hub bearing assembly. That's you right. see actually four bolts in the back of it. Mm-hmm. You unbolt it. You take the whole assembly off. Right. You bolt a new assembly onto the knuckle, and you put the vehicle back right. together. Which it can be done in about an hour's time. Sure. The labor charge is not that much. But the hub bearing assembly is very, very expensive. Right. Some of your three-quarter ton Chevrolets, those hub bearings are four and $500. Some mm-hmm. of your Fords are even more than that, especially your three-quarter ton Fords. Those can be very, very expensive. Right. Maybe seven or $800. So the point is you want to try to avoid damaging this assembly any way that you possibly can, mm-hmm. just because most of them are pretty expensive. Now, there are a handful of them are probably... 150 to $200, but sure. those are kind of the exceptions. Most of them are in the two to $300 range, and some are just a whole, whole lot more. So something you want to take care of, and we're going to talk a little bit more about yeah. that. Let's get you a couple calls. we got Jacob online. Good morning, Jacob. Good morning, Lewis. How are you doing? Doing this great, sir. Good morning. i got a question. I've got a 2009 Yukon Denali. Okay. It's got the auto air ride system that's on it. Yes, sir. And the compressor. I, I, one of the shocks were bad on it, so I mm-hmm. changed both rear shocks. Yes, sir. And I'm thinking that the compressor has gone out, and there's really no way that I know of to check that. Very often, the compressors do fail after the shocks, because what happens when the shock starts to leak, the compressor runs full-time, trying to keep the shock up, and it can't keep putting the air back in. It's also cycling a lot of moisture and stuff, moisture-laden air through the compressor, so... Very, very often we do see where the compressors will fail right after shocks have gone out, particularly if you didn't catch a shock immediately. Right. That compressor has a duty cycle. It's only supposed to run for so many seconds, and then it's supposed to cool off for so many minutes. Right. And, and if it's continuously running, it just burns it up. It doesn't take it very okay. long. So there's not a reset on it or anything like not that? Not that I'm aware no, of. No, there's no reset. It's basically just a little 12-volt compressor. We've kind changed of, a few of yeah, them. Yeah, they're kind of expensive, I'm not mistaken. I want to say $400 range. And what we've also noticed, Jacob, if you don't replace it and it goes bad, it can also knock the module out because the compressor is trying to run sometimes and it's pulling excessive amperage and it'll burn the module up. And then you dump about another four or $500 into it. So I hate that system. I just I do don't too. see where it does any good. It really doesn't provide any benefit to the driver. That's very noticeable. Well, you run it on a set of coil springs. Yeah, you run it on coil springs. It's just like an overload type system. Right. Man, they're very, very expensive to maintain. They break a lot. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate it, gentlemen. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, line, we'd love to have you. And we've got Ben online. Good morning, Ben. Hi. Yes, sir. Got a 2005 Dodge 3500 diesel, okay. and it's been a great truck. I've got a lot of miles on it. I was talking with another gentleman who has a truck just like mine the other day, and he said that his windshield wipers stopped working one day when he was driving through the rain. He took it to the shop, and they said that the motor had shorted out and taken the computer with it that controls the windshield wipers, he said there's no protection between the motor and the computer. So he's, his, and it cost him over $1,000 wow. just mm-hmm. for the windshield wipers. Now, I noticed on my truck, mm-hmm. my windshield wipers, just every once in a while, they'll have a little blip where they won't work exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yes. I was wondering, is it better for me? Is that true? And is it better for me to just replace the motor now? instead of waiting and possibly taking a computer out with it. Ben, most of them have a wiper relay Mm -hmm. that does isolate the wipers from the computer. I have not personally heard of that happening, although I have seen some things that will take a computer out. For instance, the the throttle body is one thing that's driven directly by the computer, and I've seen a throttle body short out and knock out a computer. And there's a few other things that are driven directly. 
what you could do is, if you want to send an email to me, I'll pull service data and I'll look and see if there's a relay in that system. It wouldn't surprise me, but that Chrysler didn't maybe drive it direct. They do do those kinds of things on certain models. And if it is being directly commanded by the body module, yes, shorten out can knock the computer out. So well, I just don't know. I can say that I've not had that happen in my shop, but certainly I hadn't seen everything that could happen. So if you fire off an email from our website, I'll look it up in service data, and I'll tell you that for sure. Now, to get back to your question, yeah, I think if the wipers are acting funny, I would probably go ahead and replace them. you got a lot of miles on them anyway. you pretty much gotten your money worth out of it. What are you going to gain by putting it off? you got to spend the money sooner or later, and it's going to probably break at the worst possible time. Sure. Break when it's storming outside and you somewhere where you don't want to be stranded. So if you know something is going to go bad, I don't see any advantage to waiting to replace it. Unless if your money's a little tight right now, yeah, you can wait to get the money. But beyond that, if I can afford it, I'm going to fix it right then and there because I just don't want to wait. I don't want to have it happen at a inopportune time where I can pick and choose where I right. want to have it repaired. Right. Too. The way we use the vehicle, I may get in it and drive to Florida. That's right. One day and next day I may get in and drive three feet. Yeah. So you, you never know when you're going to have to leave town or when you get in a bind with it. And like yeah. Lewis was saying, if something's going to happen and it's already showing symptoms, yeah. And I, I mean, mean, now's the time. Particularly in the Gulf South, if you happen to live in this region, we get hurricane season coming up. Boy, you sure. get a hurricane, you got to get out, and all of a sudden your wipers are gone. <laughs> uh, he said that that motor was, can't remember whether it was a motor was 800 or the computer was 800. Is there any aftermarket for that, or are you just better off going back to Dodge? Well, both. I mean, Dodge probably offers a remanufactured motor almost every electrical part is remanufactured now in fact dodge is one of the only ones that actually sells a, a fair amount of new parts almost everybody else like if you buy an alternator or a starter or a wiper motor from most of these guys you're getting a remanufactured part just because epa is real big on them to remanufacture that stuff because it has toxic chemicals in it it's, it also has a lot of copper in it which is a precious resource so they remanufacture a lot of that stuff. You'd probably need to ask the Dodge dealer if he offers a reman and see okay. what the price is on that. Now, I've had better luck using the Dodge reman than I have the aftermarket reman. Right. It's okay. just they do a little better job on it. If you can't get one and it is $800 for a new one and you want to try an aftermarket reman, some of the aftermarket stuff is okay. Just you got to remember you're saving money, but you're taking risk. So if you can afford the risk, then you can afford to save, try to save money. If you can't, okay. then go with a new part, and you got way less risk, but a lot more money. Do I have time for one more question? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. I've noticed that as I've, over the last few years, my voltmeter or the amp meter, whatever it's called on the dash, uh-huh. is showing more and more towards the positive side. And then about a month ago, it went clear over to, in a pegged out, positive. And I took it in immediately because I thought something had gone wrong and took it to an auto parts store and they tested the output. Yeah. And and the output was fine and they tested both batteries and both batteries tested fine. Ben, when you got too much uh, voltage or amperage, is it a positive and a negative or is it numbers? Like 12, 13, 14. I think it is numbers. Yeah, if it's numbers, that's voltmeter. See, anytime a voltmeter is reading too many volts, it's not ever going to be the alternator itself. Because mm-hmm. that is regulated by the body control module or the PCM. That's what regulates it. So if you've got a problem with too much voltage, it's not the alternator's gone bad. It's something in the regulation system. doesn't mean the computer's bad. It could be one of the inputs. There's some type of sensor that tells it how much voltage is going in. There's another routine that runs depending on what it sees as the needs of the charging system. 
I've seen stuff as silly as a temperature, ambient temperature sensor would be bad, and it thinks it's 40 below zero outside, so it kicks charge rate way up because it thinks the battery's real cold. So there's things like that. You just have to get that to somebody who knows what to do. And a parts store is not ever going to no. be able to help you with that. You need to get sure. somebody who knows what to do. And, and Dodge has a tool called a Superstar, which you can hook to it. It'll see what is being commanded. It sees what the alternator is producing, and you can look at the different inputs. Now, we've got that tool, and so do most good automotive shops. You don't have to go to a Dodge dealer. Almost any sure. good independent shop is going to have a similar scan tool, but that's the way that has to be checked. If you take the alternator off, bring it to a parts store, sure it's going to check good. But mm-hmm. it's because it's not being regulated from the outside. Okay. All righty. Thank you so much. Okay, Ben, You're thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. Bye. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. Take our second little break and be right back with more. And that's why cayenne pepper should never be stored in the bathroom. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Call her what you want to know. Alphonse, my car needs a new transmission, but I think there might be some other problems looming in the near future. I might as well get a new car, right? Well, here's what I'll recommend. Take it to the pros at Agco Automotive for a general inspection. They know their stuff and they're mighty honest. They'll be able to see if there's any problems likely in the future and tell you your best option. And if you keep your car, bring it into Agco for regular maintenance and you'll be driving it for a long time. Thank you, Alphonse. You do know it all. Say, are you as good-looking as you are smart? Well, let's just say, I know you wouldn't be disappointed. Learn more about the benefits of AGCO at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You join us. It's Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. Hey, if you got a question, go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. And we got Frank online. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, guys. I inherited a somewhat neglected 2000 Mercury Mystique. Okay. And I can do a lot of the work myself, especially uh-huh. the cosmetics and stuff. And listening to you guys over the years, I said you've got 102,000 miles. Uh-huh. Really not much for that year. I think I was going to go ahead and bring it in. I'm not sure about the timing belt mm-hmm. and also the transmission. Yes, sir. My question is, in the process of going to the timing belt on that, if you can remember that vehicle somewhat, is there any other parts like a water pump or anything else that while we're in that process that would be suggested to yeah. change out? Frank, I'd have to see what engine it has in that vehicle because I just don't remember back that far. It may not have a timing belt. It may have a timing chain. If it's got a chain, I wouldn't mess with it. I'd leave it alone unless it gives problem. Now, if it's got a belt, yeah, you're way, way, way past due on that. And, yeah, you would change the water pump and the cam seal and the crank seal and all that. We just really need to see what engine is in the car because Ford used a couple of different ones, and I just don't remember back that far. i tell you what I would do, though, Frank, before I started spending any money on this car at all, is bring it to me first. Let me do a general inspection on it. Reason being, on a 15-year-old car that's been sitting up a lot, we may find a whole, whole, whole lot of pending problems, and you may want to rethink putting a lot of money into it. And then again, we may find, yeah, it's in basically pretty good shape. I'm going to go ahead and put you on hold because I'm getting so much background noise I can't hardly hear. But I would get a general inspection on the vehicle before I started dumping money into it. had a lady come in just this week, and she had a very, very, very clean Ford Crown Vic that uh-huh. her, her 
grandmother had been driving. She gave her the car. And when we started checking it, what we found was because of the age of the car, it was about the same age as this one. Yeah. And it had so many problems because the ball joint boots had all deteriorated. So it was going to need a complete front end rebuild, squeaking real loud in the front end. I mean, the intake had- manifold was leaking. It was going to need a new intake manifold. And it was going to end up costing her probably close to $3,000 to bring this car back into shape. And it just wasn't worth putting that much money into the old car. It was right. better to just sell it before she could get out of it now, take that money, put towards something a little newer. Because years are way worse on a car than miles. Oh, most definitely. The rubber and the hydraulics and everything tends to corrode up. and Especially with it not moving, just sitting. Just sitting like and, that. And drawing moisture. And time tends to, to wear the, the rubber out and makes dry as it out. And first thing you know, it's broke and all the grease is leaked out of the ball joints and it's full of water. And, right. And the worst yeah. thing you can do is go dump eight nine $900,000 on doing things yourself and then bring it in and find this out. I may find, well, the transmission is fixing to go out this is bad this is bad what i'm saying is just it would pay you to go ahead and, and pay for a general inspection before you start putting money into it and if you got a basically sound car then great then go from there uh-huh. and start getting it back into shape and but you, at least you'd have something going in before you go put a lot of money into it and then find out that you got a major problem and i appreciate you calling just sorry i had so much background noise couldn't hear you hey we got to take one more quick little break but we will be right back with more on the automotive hour And that's why Justin Bieber should never, I repeat, never be cloned. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my six-year-old car needs about $2,500 worth of work, a new AC, and tires. You think I should do it or invest in a new car? So how much you paid for it six years ago? $40,000. Well, now it's valued at about $10,000, so it costs you $30,000 to drive it the last six years. That's $5,000 a year. Well, let's say you keep the car and spend them about 2500 on repairs every couple of years, which is about 1200 a year. Way less than a new car, huh? Whoa, sounds like I need to keep my old car. Then bring it to Agco Automotive for regular maintenance, and it will last you even longer. Now that sounds like a good investment. Hey, Al, you got any stock market tips? Oh, for that, you got to tune to my other show, Al's Financial Hour. Booyah! Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, President of Agco Automotive, got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, by my side. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? Still got plenty of time and get you a personal answer to any question you might have. Sure. Before the few last callers, we were talking about wheel bearings. That's right. And like Louis was saying, some of those wheel bearings are expensive just to purchase, not necessarily have put on the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Some of them are relatively cheap, but the labor to install them, is several hours labor. Well, on a pressed-in wheel bearing, right. which is not the hub bearing assembly. It's a different design that they use pretty prevalently also. Yeah, you have to break it's, the whole front end down and press that in with a hydraulic press. Right, and so, you have to do it a special way or you'll destroy the bearing, the new bearing, putting it in. Right. We have an article on the website about how to press wheel bearings properly because if you press it improperly, which a lot of folks do, they damage the bearing, and, I mean, within six months, it's bad again. Right. And some of those can be upwards of $100 just for the bearing. Right. And probably two and a half hours or so to press them in properly well, take you actually have to take off. the spindle off the vehicle plus press, you have to have access to a hydraulic press and right get it all put back together and, 
when you get it all put back together, you've disturbed the alignment. That's right. So now the car has to be aligned. So the time to find out if it was pulling was before any of the work was done. Right. You go test drive it. You take into consideration, is the steering wheel straight? Is the vehicle pulling one way or the other? Right. When you come back, you look at the tires. Are right. the tires round? Are they going to support a new wheel bearing? Because right. you don't want to put a new wheel bearing on a car that has an out-around tire that's just going to beat it back well, out. Well, you make an excellent point in that one of the leading causes, of course, for wheel bearings going bad is driving through high water, but another equally problematic thing are out-around tires. Sure. And a lot of folks don't know what an out-around tire is. Basically, it would be a tire that if you jacked your car up and just gave that tire a spin and looked at it, you could see it sort of hopping up and down. Mm-hmm. And no tire is ever absolutely perfect, but the specification is generally 30 thousandths of an inch. So right. that's just a tiny, tiny amount. That's less, about a 32nd of an inch is what's allowable. Mm-hmm. But when they start getting an eighth, a quarter, I've seen them probably a half inch of run out. Oh, yeah. Hopping up and down, squirming side to side. Well, that is a bad tire. And the tire could have been manufactured that way, or it could have been damaged being put on the rim. Because Improperly mounting. Right. A lot of people who sell tires every single day who you would think would know everything about a tire do not know how to mount a tire. <laughs> I have seen so many tires that were damaged when the they were mounted. Yeah, brand new tires come in, and the guy's got a vibration. He's been back to the tire store three times. They've balanced the tires. They sold him a set of junk shocks he didn't need. Right. Trying to stop the vibration. You tell him he's got four out-around tires, and he, he goes crazy. He doesn't know what to think about it. Well. Mm-hmm. The jug head that mounted the tires did them wrong, destroyed a good set of tires, then put a bunch of junk parts in the car because he didn't try to cover it up. Trying to cover it up. Right. And you can balance an out around tire all day, but it's not going to roll right. It's going to bounce because it's not round. I mean, and that's providing you're balancing it correctly. That's a whole nother issue in itself. Well, that's right. And what is going to happen, a lot of times in frustration, people can't get it back. They'll go back to the tire store two or three times. They can't get it fixed. They say they'll just put up with it. Uh huh. Well, you got to remember that vibration that you're feeling is nothing compared to what's going into the front end because the front end is designed to absorb vibration. Sure, it's only going to absorb a certain amount. Right. That's why generally you won't feel a shake until you get up to around 40, 45 miles an hour because below that it's absorbing it. Mm-hmm. It gets to a point where it just can't take it anymore. Then it starts passing it through to the driver. That's right. when you start to feel the vibration. But in the interim, all that vibration is beating the devil out of the wheel bearings. It's beating up the ball joint. The tie rods. The struts. The rack. Rods. Right. So, in effect, what you do, you go around to this guy who he's going to beat everybody's price on tires. I got the cheapest tires. Yeah, 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 yeah. You buy a set of tires from You save maybe $100. Okay. Let's say $200. Let's, let's say, yeah. Okay. Now, you save $200, you go down the road, it's vibrating, you go back, he sells you a set of junk shocks you didn't need. Which aren't any any better than the ones you took off. Well, probably probably not, worse. Probably not as good. So now you got five or $600 more, so now you're not saving anything. Uh-huh. You still got a vibration. Somewhere down the road, you start seeing a spot of fluid, and you start making a whining noise when you turn. Well, you're racking pinions bad. Sure. Well, there's $1,200 gone. Then you get that fixed. Next thing you know, you got a humming noise when you're driving. Well, your wheel bearing's bad. So the point is, you save $200 going in, and you spent $2,000 on the outside, yeah. On junk you didn't need, plus you've been aggravated. Next thing you know, the tire's worn out because it's been bounced down the road like an old basketball, so then chopped all up in spots, so you need those tires. All right. So which one is cheaper, going that route or just go ahead and buy a good set of tires, mount it and balance by a professional who knows what he's doing, pay a little more up front, and save all the other. Right. You save the headache. That's I mean. Right. 
Once it's done, it's done. Yeah, once you've damaged your car, then you're going to have to pay to fix all that. It's just not going to go away. And it's just one of those things. People tell me all the time, well, you get what you pay for. Well, you don't always get what you pay for. Exactly. But you never get more More than you pay for. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Sometimes you don't get what you pay for. But you will never get more than you pay for. Generally, when you got somebody and he's advertised, oh, we're going to be everybody's price, yeah, 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 yeah. The only thing he's got to sell is a low price. That's right. And he has got a low price generally because he doesn't pay his help as much as everybody else does, or he's selling a cheaper product. There's a reason why sure. his price because if you look at all the factors that go into running an auto repair shop, I mean, the rent is not going to vary a huge amount, maybe a little bit, but not a huge amount. The taxes they pay are not going to vary a huge amount. The amount of equipment they're going to have to have to run a proper shop is mm-hmm. not going to vary a huge amount. The amount they're going to pay their help is not going to vary a huge amount if they're all paying a proper rate. Correct. Now, if someone says they can beat everybody's price, either they've got a cheap product or they're cutting corners somewhere. Uh-huh. And what happens when you start cutting corners? A lot of times, I guess younger people seem to be more prone to this because they don't have the life experiences I notice most of our customers at AGCO tend to be a little older, probably 40 on up. Right. And that's because these folks have more life experience. They have been down that road. They know what's going to happen. They know They know what's going to cost them through the nose, and they're looking for something different. Right. But every generation has to kind of learn that on their own. The smart ones are going to learn it. Pretty quick. Well, from somebody like us telling them, and they don't have to experience it themselves. The guys who don't think that deep, well, they're going to go through it, and they'll (laughs) eventually get it. But, yeah, it's one of those things you're not ever going to get more than you pay for. Always be very, very skeptical about that kind of stuff. Sure. Let's go back to our phone lines. We've got... That's loyal, as in loyal customer. Oh, there you go. He typed it in a little different. (laughs) Oh, well. Okay. Look, I just wanted to correct you on one thing. Go ahead. Sometimes you do get more than you pay for. Okay. Where's that? When you go to AGCO. Hey, you go. <laughs> feel free to use that. Hey, you go. <laughs> well, you're going to get what you pay for anyway. <laughs> hey, I appreciate that, Kyle Oil. And it's one of those deals, a guy my age, I've learned that I would rather pay a little more up front. It's like my old man always said, sometimes the cheapest way out is the more expensive way in. Uh-huh. Pay a little more up front. Get it done right because it's cheaper. If you ever notice, quality products are usually always in demand. Sure. In other words, if you go down and you buy a Toyota, generally you're going to pay somewhere pretty close to list price. Right. You don't hear them screaming about $10,000 off list, $15,000 off list, yeah, 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 because they've got a quality product as a high demand. Why is there high demand? Because people know buying this product is going to save them money down the road. Even mm-hmm. though it costs more than maybe a different type of car, they know it's going to save them money because it can have less repairs, less breakdowns. And you always notice, I, know I hear a car come over, we're just as good as <laughs> Yeah, just as good as. Yeah, I never saw anything that was just as good as it was. <laughs> and it's kind of, I guess it's kind of a high compliment when people compare themselves to Sure. It. So anyway, the point is, if you ever notice, Quality products and quality services generally have a high demand, and that's because a lot of folks have learned that there's more going into this than just the price you pay. And that's why there's a higher demand for this product, because it's cheaper over the long run. Sure. I've got a lot of old stuff. I like collecting old things, and the thing that really gets me about some of this old stuff that was made in America is how quality built it was. I mean, it lasted 
basically forever. Well, it's still around. It's still around. I've got right. a, I got a typewriter in my office right now that was made in the 1890s. There you go. I can put a piece of paper in and type a letter with it today. It's sure. got the original ribbon on it. It still works like the day it was made. How about that? Yeah, how many things are going to be around 100 years from now that are being built today? <laughs> oh, I know. I was thinking that same thing earlier this today. Yeah, I've got an old 10-key add machines. I can punch those numbers, pull that lever, and it will add, and it's obviously the same ribbon in it. Yeah. You know, every piece of it is still there. Now, it's kind of beat up. It's been dropped. It's well, it's been around. I mean. broke. But if you look on the back, it says manufactured in 1909. In America. In America. That's right. And that's what made in America used to mean at one time. Exactly. And I would love to see it come back. I would too. But they built a quality product. Now, that old ad machine probably cost a pretty good bit of money relative to the times. Mm -hmm. It may have cost $25 back when it was manufactured, which is probably equal to maybe four or $500 today. Well, obviously, you can go buy a calculator today for 10 bucks. Of course, it's going to last a month and then it's going to be burned out. You're not ever going to have one that's going to last 100 years like you had then. So if you add how many you bought over the last 100 years, hey, probably, you probably well, paid well paid for that one. Oh, that's right. And it's just that's the reason why folks seek out quality products. Uh-huh. And it's the same exact thing when you buy, whether it's tires or anything else. All the advertising and stuff you got kind of tells you otherwise. And they, oh, buy West cheap. They don't look good. You know, come get a cheap one. But you got to think of the total overall cost because exactly. if you don't, you end up paying big times. Oh yeah, and that's all we got to all get off our soapbox here. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening today and every single Saturday on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week, and go to your favorite broadcast service and if there's a written rating column, give us a written rating. Yeah, give us a written review. That always helps us out, moves us up in the rating so that more people can hear us, and that way we can keep on doing the program. Preceding was opinion based. In our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.